I've had the opportunity on a couple of times to uh, visit Mount Vernon, which is uh, the place where George Washington lived, and, and to have a tour of that and think about the history uh, that lay in that place and, and to think about George Washington and all that he did. And uh, if you've ever done a tour of Mount Vernon, you know that part of the tour includes going to the front porch and, and you can sit there, there are some rocking chairs, and you can look at the bay and there's beautiful nature that you can admire. And, and I remember sitting there and, and, and looking at all of the beauty, and, and, but also thinking about uh, how many times George Washington didn't get to be home because he was somewhere else. Uh, how, how many months he spent away from this comfortable, beautiful place so that he could be fighting a revolutionary war. Uh, and, and there's a, a particular occasion well into uh, this war of independence where George Washington comes home and, and he's only there 48 hours and during those 48 hours he gets to meet grandchildren that were born while he was gone. And, and I think about those sacrifices that were made, uh, things that he could have chosen to do differently, but, but he chose to, to give away. And I think about all of the Spaniard uh, support that he received from Florida and Louisiana and, and about the Native Americans that fought with the Americans, that, about the French that lined up and, and faced this, this British oppression that Americans were facing. And, I think about the colorful and elegant uniforms of the British Army and the French Army and how the Americans didn't have a uniform. They, they had pants that were patched up and shirts that were worn out and, and boots that couldn't go much longer. And when we think about celebrating Fourth of July, I am mindful of that. I'm mindful that the wonderful freedom that we enjoy in this country was paid by the sacrifice of others. Sometimes it was a sacrifice of time and of comfort. Sometimes it was a sacrifice of their very lives. And as it is true of earthly nations, it's also true of a spiritual nation which we call the church. The spiritual blessings that we enjoy as the people of God were paid for by someone's sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. And we've been singing about this and Andre has, has so well reminded us of this. So we're talking about a better sacrifice. We're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. We're going chapter by chapter. Jesus is better is the name of the series. And now we come to this better sacrifice portion, which is found in Hebrews chapter 7. I invite you to go there with me if you have your Bibles if you have your device or if you want to follow along on the screen, the, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also King of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Very interesting stuff. 
Now, we remember that the book of Hebrews was a sermon. So even though we're breaking it up in what we call chapters and it's taking us all summer to go through it, we need to remember that the audience heard it all at once. And so there are some ideas that are connected and, and we need to be aware of that. This idea of Jesus as a high priest was introduced as early as chapter five. Uh, Pastor Chad preached on Father's Day and he talked to us about Jesus being a better high priest. And because he's a high priest and he can represent us perfectly before God and he can represent God perfectly before people. And that has implications for us in the priesthood of the believer. And then last Sunday we talked about the fact that we have a better promise. That better promise is ours because Jesus is a better high priest. So this whole idea of Jesus being a better high priest is being unpacked and we come now to chapter seven. Because Jesus is a high priest, now we have a better sacrifice. He's the ultimate sacrifice. And so we need to keep that in mind as we talk about sacrifice today that is in the bigger context of him being a high priest. And so the first thing I wanna share with you is the worth that is recognized by sacrifice. Sacrifices are usually made for the sake of something greater, aren't they? Even in something as simple as and mundane as baseball, uh, someone, uh, a batter, may, may hit the ball in a way that he knows he's gonna be out because he's trying to get somebody else to come home. It's a sacrifice that is made so that something bigger is accomplished, someone that goes to war and is able to uh, put their life on the line is doing so because they believe there is something worth more. There is something greater that is worth this risk that they are taking. When it comes to Jesus' sacrifice, the Bible also speaks of a greater worth. So we continue to read in verse four, and it reads like this. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, a tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. We keep running into this mysterious character called Melchizedek, and we are trying to avoid him. I know Chad tried to avoid him, and I know I tried to avoid him, but he keeps popping up. And, and so we, we must ask ourselves, what, what is he about? Uh, the, the Bible declares about Jesus in chapter 5, verse 6, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Then in chapter 5, verse 10, it says, and he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then in chapter 6, verse 20, it says he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And now we come to chapter 7, and there's an entire chapter about this enigmatic character. What's the big deal? I mean, I understand talking about Abraham. We know who that is. I understand talking about Moses. That's a great guy to talk about. I understand talking about David. This Melchizedek, he steps into the biblical narrative for a short period of time, and we don't hear about him again until Hebrews brings him up. 
And, and, and here's what I realize as I'm thinking about this passage is that it's easy for a people to become proud. Now, I like history and I like heritage and I like culture and, and I think there's something that is good about taking pride in our heritage about learning our history and taking pride in our history and where we come. If you do Ancestry.com or you do whatever it is that you do to, to be connected to something bigger, all of that is great. There's, that's kind of what I call a healthy kind of pride. But that healthy pride can become arrogance when you begin to think that you're better than everyone else. When, when a people begin to think that they're better than everyone else. And so... When I think of, of history, for example, uh, I, I think of Texas. I think he, Texas has a rich history. There's, there's a lot that we can be proud of here in Texas. Uh, I think about the six flags that have flown over this state. In 1519, we had the, the, the flag of Spain. Uh, Texas was under Spain. In 1685, we had the, the flag of France. Uh, and I'm sure that was an interesting time. And then in 1821, it was Mexico. Uh, Texas belonged to Mexico. In 1836, it became the Republic of Texas, its, its own nation. I think there are some people, including my wife, who think it's still a republic. <laughs> and then in 1861, it was the Confederate flag that was flying over it. And then finally in 1865, after the Civil War, the United States of America flag flew over Texas. There's so much history that they're talking about. And then, to go even deeper as Texas Baptists, uh, we are proud that Baylor University is the oldest continuous, continuously operating university in Texas. It was established in 1845, before Texas belonged to the United States, and, and we think that's great. But you know, I realize that oldest takes a new meaning when you travel to Europe, doesn't it, if you've ever been there? I mean... We think we have a rich heritage in the U.S. independence, 1776 or 1845 for Baylor University. But from the European perspective, that's modern, you know. I think about when I visited in the U.K., I remember visiting castles that were built like in the year 900 or the year 1000. Being, I've been on the campus of Oxford University and University Church was built in the 1200s. All of a sudden, my Texas pride is kept in check. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a little longer. It's a little older, right? My wife and I were so uh, enthralled when we visited Segovia, Spain, and we visited the Roman aqueduct. That is this humongous structure, bigger than life, and we stood there realizing that that Roman aqueduct was built 50 years before Christ. Now that's, that's something uh, that's sobering and it keeps all of my pride in check, right? Unless, you know, I connect back to the Incas or the Mayans, you know, and I go back to the pyramids. And, and, and when I think about that, I think that's what Melchizedek does for the Jewish Christians of the first century. He keeps their pride in check because see, they valued their heritage. They connected themselves to Abraham. They connected themselves to Moses. They connected themselves to the law and to the Levitical priesthood. It was an enduring tradition, something to be proud of, something that connected them to the past centuries before them. 
But the Bible says that there is a priesthood that is older than the priesthood of the Levites, and that is the priesthood of Melchizedek. We find that story in the book of Genesis. Abram, shortly after God called him and made his promise of making him a people and giving him a land, uh, is engaged in a war and he wins against several kings. And after this victory battle that has been fought, this character Melchizedek steps in and he appears to Abram, Genesis 14, 18 through 20. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Interesting. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, created of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is Melchizedek, identified as the king of Salem, I mean, king of peace. Later it would be Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It was the priest of the God Most High. And he brings bread and wine. And it's remarkable because it reminds me that God had a priest before he had a people. God had a priest before the Levitical priesthood was ever established. Before there was even rules and regulations about what priests should do, there was already someone who he had in place. The law of Moses would later prescribe that God's people should bring a tenth of their income to the Levites. It was in an act of worship that they would come and offer that to the Levites. And when they offered the tenth of their income to the Levites, they were honoring God, but they were also honoring the Levites as the representatives of God. But when we look at this passage of Abram meeting Melchizedek way before the law, way before the commandments, way before the Levites, Abram gives a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. It's a demonstration of honor and respect for Melchizedek as a representative of God. And the Bible says that since the Levites were still in Abram's loins, the Levites were paying the tithe to Melchizedek. And, and, and so what, what the Holy Spirit wants the church to know is that there is one who came before Moses, one who came before the Levitical priesthood. There is one who is not only as ancient as Father Abraham, but is even older than that. In fact, he is eternal. He steps from eternity into this moment. Psalm 110, verse 4, says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek has no genealogy, no family history, no date of birth, no mom or dad. And it makes us wonder, what is that about? We know that Jesus came from heaven. He was born in Bethlehem. He went to the cross. But before he was born in Bethlehem, he existed in eternity. And what the Bible wants us to know is that this pre-existing Christ is connected to this order of Melchizedek. That Jesus is connected to a priesthood that is higher, better, older, more eternal than the Levitical priesthood. And that we ought to value him and his work more than anything else. What we value more will determine what we honor more. When we value someone highly, then we are more willing to sacrifice for them. Now, it ought to 
cause us to ask, what is it that we value more? Do we value our, our religious heritage? Do we value our church buildings, our church traditions, our, our religious artifacts, our legacy and our history? All those things are great, but do we value them at the same level as we value Jesus? See, if sacrifice is to mean anything, Jesus has to be worth more to you than anything else. In fact, we, we need to recognize that everything else is temporal. Everything else is earthly compared to Jesus, the eternal one. Hebrews 7, 11 says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. I love that. Sometimes I just want to geek out in front of you. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. What worth do you ascribe to Jesus? What worth do you ascribe to other things in your life? to other things in, in your religious experience, in your spiritual life. What, what, how many times do we get stuck with lesser stuff and we miss Jesus? The relationship, we sang about it more than cold religion. I want you, Jesus. I want to know you more. Secondly, there's a will required for sacrifice. By its very nature, sacrifice is voluntary. It is an act of the will. Something decides to give something that is costly because they choose to do so. The very first sacrifice in the Bible was offered by God. When Adam and Eve disobeyed in the Garden of Eden, they realized they were naked and they made themselves some designer fig leaves. And they were highly inadequate. And God noticed so he killed an animal and he provided them with animal skins to properly cover themselves. That's the very first sacrifice in the Bible. God made garments of animal skins and clothed them. The blood of innocent animals was shed to cover the shame of sinful humanity. It was almost a foreshadowing of another sacrifice that God took the initiative to make. And Adam and Eve's sons... Uh, learn from this concept of sacrifice. The Bible tells us that Abel offered the best of his flock. He, he shed blood at the altar to honor God because he knew how much God had done for them. And in contrast with Abel who offered fruit of the land, God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. In fact, the entire sacrificial system that Moses set up was to give people an opportunity to worship God in a worthy manner. 
It, it, it was a way to say, God, we love you, and this is how we show it in an appropriate way, in a way that honors you, in a voluntary way. But what God really wanted was the heart. 1 Samuel 15:22 says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Hosea 6:6 6, 6 says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And then on occasion when David was going to offer a sacrifice and the king said, let me pay for it, let me provide everything for it, this is how David answers that king. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see, the better sacrifices are those that are offered willingly, generously, gladly. The better sacrifices are given without hesitation and with a lot of determination. There's been a lot of stories that have surfaced from the Uvalde tragedy over a month ago, and they're all very interesting, but one of the stories that really has stood out to me is that of Angeli Gomez. Angeli Gomez, a farm worker who had two children in that school, when she learned what was happening, she hurried to that school and she pulled up her car really as close as she was able to do it. And in her perception, she felt like law enforcement was just standing by. They weren't doing anything. And she was desperate because she could hear the shots of the active shooter in the school. And she wanted them to go in. And she felt they weren't moving. They were just waiting. And so she said, I'm going in. And she ran into that school and she went to her children's classroom. She knocked on the door and waited until the teacher opened the door. And she grabbed one child. And then she went to the other classroom and grabbed another child. And she walked out of that school with her two children. Law enforcement was furious because she had disobeyed their orders. But she saved the life of her children. You can argue about whether it was appropriate or not. But you cannot argue about her love and willingness to lay her life down to save her children. She risked it all. Now Jesus, as a superior high priest, not only presented a sacrifice on our behalf, not only did he bring a voluntary willing offering on our behalf, he offered himself. He gave himself selflessly offered his life, verse 20 of chapter 7. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many those, of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made 
perfect forever. This is a loaded passage. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. What incredible selflessness. What incredible love Jesus has for you and me. All of the other priests had to offer sacrifices for their sins first before they could offer sacrifices for the people. But Jesus, who was sinless, only had to offer his life once and for all. It was enough. It was the perfect sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that would do away with all the other sacrifices. It was a sacrifice that all other sacrifices pointed to in anticipation. He is our eternal high priest. He is our perfect and sufficient sacrifice once and for all. We can trust in him. We can have our forever hope in him. That's the will of God that is willing to sacrifice. Do you know him? Do you love him? He loves you. He loves you. I need to finish. Third and final, the works resulting from sacrifice. Because Jesus is our high priest, we do not have to do anything to be right with God. We cannot and we don't work for our salvation. The only thing required for our salvation is faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in who he is as our high priest. Faith in what he did for us as the ultimate sacrifice. And when we put our faith in Christ, we are covered by his perfection. When, when you put your faith in the sacrifice of Christ and you come before God, you are accepted by God, not because you're good, not because you're religious, not because you believe the right things, not because you've done the right things, but because Jesus did the right things, because Jesus was perfect. God accepts you because he accepts his son. And if you're in his son, you're accepted by God. That's good news, amen? We never have to earn our standing with God. If you are in Christ, you never have to earn your standing with God. It's already taken care of. That one sacrifice, once and for all, took care of that forever. Forever. And yet, the evidence of genuine faith is a complete surrender to Christ. We don't do good works to be right with God. But if we are in Christ, good works will result. What Christ has done for us in his perfect sacrifice leads us to give ourselves for him and for others. Our good works do not ensure our relationship with God, yet our relationship with God ensures good works through us. I've been thinking about my mom this week. She passed away two years ago, and I've been remembering her and her life. And one of the things I remember about her is her, her generosity. She loved to give gifts. She gave gifts every holiday, Valentine's and Father's Day, and she gave gifts to others on Mother's Day. And, and uh, Fourth of July, and she just tried to find excuses to give gifts, even if they weren't very big. And, and then she loved to give and treat people out for meals, and, and she had cash in her purse. She'd give it to her children or her grandchildren. Sometimes I thought that she was given more than she could afford. And then when I think about when I am in a generous mood, it's not as often, 
whenever I'm in that mood, I think about the fact that, you know, mom would be proud of me. And then I remember, well, she was proud of me no matter what. So, so when I get to be generous, I realize that I'm not doing it so that mom would approve of me. I do it so that I can show that I'm her son. Christ is the ultimate example of selfless generosity. The ultimate sacrifice of Christ shows that he chose to set aside his rights, his comfort, his convenience on our behalf. And how we need to imitate that today. If we belong to Christ in a self-absorbed society, Jesus' followers need to be willing to set aside their own rights, our own convenience, our own comfort. Nothing gives better evidence that we belong to Christ than our selfless service. Such selfless service is not meant to earn God's approval. It simply gives evidence that you belong to Christ. You know, we live in times when the church's testimony to the unbelieving world is, is kind of shaky. Sometimes justly, sometimes unjustly. But let me tell you, the most powerful witness that we can give an unbelieving world is not how we demand our rights or how we demand our comfort. The most powerful witness that we can give to an unbelieving world is selfless service that looks like Jesus. That we look like our Savior. Jesus is our better sacrifice. And that means that if you haven't trusted in him today, you can trust in him for salvation. You can be sure in him forever. You can be accepted by God through Christ. If you've not done that, you can do that today. And if you already are a believer, that today you could choose to live selflessly, to live sacrificially, to give yourself away for Christ and for those for whom he died. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you today, Father, for Jesus and what he did for us, his incredible love. Help us today to trust him, to rejoice in him. Help us today, Father, to be like him and help us to respond in faith and obedience even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.